Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. This is uh, Dave Cruz from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And today we are lucky enough to have Steve Cottrell with us. And Steve is the CEO and founder of Authenticom, which he started in 2002 and is based in, based in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So Authenticom works with dealer management systems and data services in the auto industry. And I think it's kind of a hidden gem in the state of Wisconsin, unless you're in the auto dealership business there's a good chance you probably haven't heard of steve or authenticom so i invited steve to share a story um and tell us more where he wants to take authenticom so steve uh thanks for coming on the show it's a pleasure to be here thanks so much for the opportunity yeah yeah and i'm really fascinated that you you are your fast-growing company lacrosse so excited to learn more but let's uh let's first start with your uh background you know before authenticom and kind of, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, especially I've always been orientated towards sales and, um, you know, very, very early on, uh, in life. And that took me into automobile sales. Um, I started selling cars at a local Chevrolet dealership, uh, when I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I worked in the retail side of the automobile industry for 13 years. Um, did most of the jobs in the front end or sales end of the dealership, um, you know, over that 13 year uh, career, uh, primarily in Northern California. Um, from there, I joined a consulting company and I really say that's where I did my PhD work in the automotive industry. I had an opportunity to, uh, travel extensively all over North America and a little bit in Europe, seeing the absolute best operations. Um, and some of the worst. And, uh, that was really kind of, you know, my first view, um, into, and even though it wasn't really conscious, it was kind of my first view into what eventually became, you know, the basis for Authentic Uh, during the, the time with the consulting company, I also had an opportunity to work on a lot of, uh, startup companies within the consulting company. We started 12 separate products, um, to service automobile dealers and manufacturers, and um, that really kind of sparked the entrepreneurial bug. Wow! And what uh, what was kind of your role with the consulting company? Uh, well, I started out, you know, as a field consultant, going into automobile dealerships, and we actually had specific curriculums that we trained uh, automobile dealership management and personnel, um, and then there was, of course, maintenance. So. Uh, I had an opportunity to both install and, and run maintenance uh, uh, on those specific products. And then from there, we had a training facility in Philadelphia. Uh, I became one of the instructors at the training facility, and then I got into product and curriculum development um, and then uh, took uh, a marketing role, um, which really was a glorified uh, uh, title for uh, a salesperson. <laughs> nice. and, that's where I got most of my exposures to the manufacturers, which of course proved very valuable later in my career. Interesting. Yeah. So you have quite the well-rounded uh, background. Was there anything from the consulting? I mean, was there certain areas that really helped you kind of see where the uh, auto dealership industry was headed uh, or certain uh, cir- circumstances that you're like, Oh wow, this is uh, you know, things are changing here. 
Yeah, I don't think it was really conscious, you know, during the time, um, but certainly that gave me the basis and the information that I needed to, um, you know, make a lot of decisions that I was making later in life and, you know, formulating authentic um, I think a couple things that really struck me about the automotive industry was the lack of adaptation um, towards technology. Now, that's changed, you know, in the last decade, but, you know, the automobile industry as a whole uh, you know, particularly in dealerships, uh, still, you know, a decade or, or more behind, you know, in really adapting technology. Um, you know, up until very recently, you know, just a few years ago, and, and still today, I'm sure in some places, you know, dealerships are still operating uh, using green screens and, um, you know, the, the system of choice or the platform of choice for a lot of the data management systems was uh, AS400 technology, old IBM technology. Um, a lot of the software, you know, is written and um, things like Universe and Pick databases and, you know, very, very what would be considered today as uh, you know, antiquated legacy systems. And um, that, that's one of the really interesting things about you know, the industry is it migrates is the pain that's involved, you know, in migrating from a lot of these systems to the some of the newer technology. And are a lot of dealerships still in that middle of the migration or has that happened, you know, over the last five, 10 years? Uh, you know, it, it's happening, but the, the issue is, is that there are a couple of uh, system manufacturers that really control the market. I mean, if you look at 85% of the dealerships, uh, franchise dealerships in North America, they're probably operating on one of four or five platforms. There are 94 different platforms that we actually integrate with at Authenticom. So the, the challenge is, is with the big guys, they're so well established, um, you know, as far as footprint, changing out to new platforms and new systems is so costly. Um, and they've got such huge market share. There hasn't been a huge motivation for them to make those changes. Gotcha. And it's certainly not something that the dealerships are, you know, driving for. A very interesting thing that, you know, about the automotive industry and for anybody that's, um, you know, familiar with it, um, if you have a product or a solution or want to talk about something that's going to help a dealer sell a car today or put a customer in the service drive, you'll have a very attentive audience. Okay. Yeah. If you want to talk about anything else, Okay, they can be somewhat ADD. Okay, <laughs> it, it's a it's a tough conversation to have. So you know, a lot of what we're talking about, you know, with our particular products, is really um, about some fundamental changes, you know, in thinking and very important, you know, social issues. And and you know that's a that's a tougher thing to get dealers, you know, to really look at. And it's not because you know they're not concerned or they're not interested. They're just so damn busy. Okay, mm -hmm. you know, running an automobile dealership is a very very difficult position, and the margins are very slim. Um, you know, and there's there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, people have a lot of emotion, you know, around buying a car and you know, servicing a vehicle and, and that customer experience is so very, very important that rightfully so that's where the dealers are paying the most attention, but they're paying the most attention to the customer that's right in front of them. And there isn't um, as much thought about, uh, you know, some of the background issues or, um, 
in, in this case, you know, some of the forward thinking issues about how technology might help or what things they should be concerned about, et cetera. And that's a good uh, say. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Authenticom. And so you, you were consulting and uh, did you consult right up until 2002 or uh, do, were you doing something in between or did you uh, take a little Yeah, time? I actually took, uh, I took a job with a dot-com um, okay. out in San Jose. So the consulting company sold to um, one of the very large systems providers that we're talking about and had an opportunity to um, make a presentation to the senior management team uh, at that company and knew instantly that that was not an environment that I would flourish in. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, you know, we can, we were a, a very, it was a family owned business. The consulting company was a family owned business. Uh, there's about 130 employees maybe. Um, and, you know, making the trip out to, uh, uh corporate headquarters, um, you know, I was sitting in a room full of vice presidents and, uh, or not a room, an auditorium. Okay. Wow. Full of vice presidents. And, uh, I was on stage, started my presentation by introducing myself and, you know, kind of went around into the crowd a little bit, just, you know, what's your name and what do you do? And everybody was very concerned about their title, how many people they had reporting to them, what their, uh, uh P and L responsibility was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was a little stuffy, and, uh, you know, just, it, it didn't feel like a good fit for me. Um, you know, since the buy sell had already taken place, the headhunters were swirling. Uh, I went back to my hotel room and, uh, called one of the headhunters and took a job with a dot com out in California. Um, that company was one of, it was either number one or number two, depending on who you talk to, uh, as far as offering lead generation to automobile dealers. And that was really where, Authenticom as a business started to really formulate. Um, the, the challenge that we had was we were uh, selling leads to automobile dealers for a lot of money. Um, you know, they were running anywhere from twenty to thirty-five dollars a piece for these leads. We had um, a really cool website. Um, we had about three uh, million unique visitors a month. Hmm. Looking at this website, what was the name and of the website? AutoWeb.com. Okay, okay. And with AutoWeb, what it, the consumer experience, you know, went down multiple paths depending on their, you know, lifestyle track. But the idea was is they could research, um, they could read reviews, they could get tremendous amount of product info, crash data, true cost of ownership, other consumer reviews. It was a really great forum for consumers to research. And we saw that customers spent a tremendous amount of time, you know, researching and we created this funnel, you know, where at the customer's own pace, they would eventually end up at a decision. And once they got to that decision point, we would put a question in front of them. And the question was, you know, now that you've decided you want a Honda Accord, Ford or LX, which happened to be probably the most uh, sought-after car at that point in time. Um, would you be interested in talking with a dealer that understands the online customer? Because we're talking about 19... Or excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, 1999, 2000, when the internet and auto sales was brand new. So, you know, the, the dealership experience was still pretty much walk on the lot, be a salesman. You know, uh, there, there, there wasn't a lot of people that... Um, you know, we're 
um, savvy about online shoppers. So the fact that we could offer the consumer an online uh, savvy dealer seemed appealing to them. We that's where we created monetization by taking that consumer and sending them to uh, a dealership as a lead. Um, the problem with the model was that many customers, although they went all the way through this research process, what they really wanted from the website was just a price, and they didn't want to get obligated. So they would input false information, uh, you know, in the hopes that they would you know, get a price back without having to be committed to the process. So consequently, we were sending Donald Duck, Bill Clinton, <laughs> right. um, you know, yeah, yeah, and you know, various uh, uh, versions of which probably aren't uh, appropriate for radio. <laughs> um, and you know, that really upset our customers, and we didn't have a good mechanism for um, you know really sorting through those leads and and. Our chief financial officer wasn't really interested in sorting through them. He wanted to monetize them. So um, that was my first experience in a publicly traded company. Oh, wow. um, so we had an opportunity to uh, create the first really commercially viable lead scrubbing tool um, that was used in the automotive industry. And we did that by getting the Axiom and Experian household sets uh, matching consumer information, um, created some algorithms around phone numbers that were inputted, you know, based on, uh, location. Um, you know, a lot of people put in their work phone number and it wasn't very likely that they were going to commute more than a hundred miles. So, you know, we had all kinds of rules about what was a valid lead and what wasn't a valid lead or a questionable lead. Some of them got sent to a call center for verification. Uh, but we ended up scrubbing out about 18% of the um, leads. And the really cool part was that, you know, I was in a lot of hot water with the board and the, and the CFO for chopping out all that revenue. But in a relatively short period of time, um, we became the premium supplier of leads because our closing ratios at the dealerships actually affected you know, that positive impact. And because the salespeople weren't, you know, calling bogus leads, they got more excited about our product. And consequently, our closing ratios went up well beyond the 18% that we were scrubbing out. So it was really kind of a proof positive that if you had a superior product that really met the need, um, you were going to be successful. And shortly thereafter, the company became EBITDA profitable, which in the dot-com world was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, of course, what we do? We sold. We merged her, you know, with a bigger company. And uh, How much did you sell I got, for? Do you know? Uh, remember? Yeah, it was, uh, it was about 15 times earnings. Um, or, excuse me. Yeah, it was, uh, it was more than... Yeah, uh, 15 times EBITDA and about five times revenue. But there's a lot of stock swap involved, et cetera. I mean, it was, it was a big number. It was crazy. Um, the, the painful part was um, we were the smaller of the two companies, so they pretty much decimated the staff, uh, and that was the economies of scale. Okay. So I got to learn that experience, <laughs> and uh, that was pretty painful. didn't really enjoy that. Yeah. 
So I went to work for the new company as the EVP of sales. They chose not to adopt the elite scrubbing technology that we built because they did not want to see the drop in revenue. So I took the lead scrubbing technology as part of my exit package uh, home to my son's bedroom here in La Crosse, and that was the humble start of Authenticom. Interesting. Wow. And and how many years have you, had you worked in the auto industry when you uh, started you know, Authenticom? Well, let's see. Uh, I started in 78, and I started Authenticom in 2002. So, you know, if you call the dot-com, yeah, if you call the dot-com experience, Oh, for sure. Automotive, yeah. you know. I mean, right. I mean, that's just a, I mean, it's a wonderful story, right? Because everyone thinks like, oh, you got to be like 24. But, you know, often the stats show a lot of times people are in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s when they start, when they start the companies. And, you know, by that time, you just had such a good understanding of the auto industry. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Okay. So, um, and maybe we should tell everyone what Authenticom is. Can you give a, a brief description? Sure. So um, from a problem solution standpoint, okay, so the problem that exists in the automotive industry, as I mentioned before, there are data management systems that exist in every dealership, okay? So, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's 18,500 to 22,000 retail dealerships in North America. There's about 50 or 60,000 independent dealerships use car lots. So these, all these people in varying degrees have got computer systems that run their dealerships. So they, you know, print the repair orders and handle the accounting and print the sales orders for the sale of new and used vehicles. Um, you know, they run all their parts inventory, all their inventory, body shop operations and everything on these, on these systems. We connect with 94 different systems. <laughs> okay. <laughs> these systems are all on different technology platforms. Okay. They all have different uh, ways of doing business, um, you know, down to what they call data elements. Their file naming conventions on files are completely different. Um, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, being at the United Nations. One system speaking Mandarin, another one's speaking Italian, and then you've, uh, you know, got the Russians over <laughs> here, right? And for a company that wants to provide services, you know, that are data dependent, okay, for example, a CRM company or a email marketing company, it's, it has been very, very problematic for them to get the data because it came in so many disparate formats and there wasn't a lot of people, you know, out there that, you know, crossed all these different platforms. So most companies focused on, you know, the big three or the big four systems and they had in-house folks that would, you know, take this data, uh, collect it, you know, scrub it, um, and bring it into a usable format. So the essential function of Authenticom is connecting with over 15,000 retail dealerships and over 10,000 independent dealerships every night, 94 different systems. We've got the pipeline into these dealerships. We take down all the transactional information, sales service inventory, parts inventory, service appointments, all that kind of stuff. We normalize it in a SQL enterprise database, and then we provide extracts in a single normalized feed, regardless of what system they originated on, to companies that provide services back to the dealers and to the automobile manufacturers themselves. Interesting. Well, that keeps your software developers busy. Yes. And keep up with the 
constant changes probably in those 94 different uh, platforms. Um, yeah, and, 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 and the other side of the thing that further complicates it is that so many fields in these systems are user-defined, okay? Mm-hmm. So, for example, in a service department, they have what's called operation codes. So an oil change might be operation code 101, and it's called an oil change. In the next dealership, it could be 739, and it's called an LLF, okay? Um, down south, they're called the Earl changes. Uh, you know, there's there's just, you know, just like people, everybody says things differently, and they account for things differently. So not only do we have to have the system language down, but we also have to be responsive to the human element and how people actually use these systems to properly interpret that data. And so are, are you guys essentially like the, I don't know if the intelligent data hub would make sense or not, but like you're at, you're at the center and you're, the data is coming in and then you're pushing it out to people who are calling for the data, you know, whether it's the CRM systems or whatever systems it might be or marketing systems. Um, is that kind of, one of your main roles that's correct that's about that's probably about 80 85 percent of revenue the the balance of our revenue comes from uh data hygiene and data pen so for example um we do national change of address and cast certification so we're registered with the united states postal service and the canadian postal service they send us dvds every week of all the movers and you know all the new addresses that come up so we standardize you know, all of that data. Um, uh, we're one of the, we're the largest reseller of vehicle valuation information from Blue Book and Black Book and NADA guides. So we put current valuations on vehicles as they go through our systems. Um, re- repair, frequency, uh, uh, gosh, maintenance guides. You know, as, as the years have gone by, you know, people said, hey, where, where do we get rebate information? Okay, where do we get, you know, bank interest rate information? Steve, where do we find this? Where do we find that? So, you know, we've kind of made it our business to go out and source all this data, you know, as a, as a wholesale um, supplier and then resell it to, you know, the, the hundreds of customers that we have. So that's uh, not an insignificant part of our business but it really creates an end-to-end solution so our customers can really focus on their core business, you know, as opposed to worrying about the data or, you know, additional elements that they need. Gotcha. So if, if I had a, a new marketing platform for auto dealers, I could essentially go after those 94 different platforms because you're providing the, the links or the, the hook to the interesting. Okay. And so, and so, I mean, it seems like you're in the middle. Could you, almost provide like a, I don't know if this is the right analogy, but like an app store almost, you know, because people could just build on top of uh, what you've already, because you kind of have the valuable part, right? You connect all these systems and you have all this data. Um, and maybe that's kind of what you, how you're set up. But it seems Yeah, like- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, not so much from an app store standpoint. Um, you know, we, we don't, um, you know, we don't, provide, you know, marketing for an application or a space for people to show their wares. We don't take a rev share, uh, typically, you know, like an Apple or, you know, something like that. Um, it's an interesting model. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we have is that we don't own the data. Okay. You know, retail automobile dealerships 
put up millions uh, of dollars and invest, you know, millions of dollars every year on their facilities and on marketing and building that consumer relationship. And where that data element starts, this is where most people, you know, forget about this. But that that data element starts, you know, when a customer brings their car in for a service and, you know, service orders generated or they buy a vehicle, that data is collected there. So because we believe very, very strongly that because that data is created at the dealership, that the dealership owns that data. Now, are there lots of tremendously beneficial opportunities, you know, that that data could be leveraged? Absolutely. But presently, there is not a good, safe, trusted, um, you know, exchange or repository for that data. Um, and there's no council or board or governing agencies that, you know, looks at different opportunities and says, yeah, this is a good use, this ethical, um, it, it benefits uh, consumers and dealers and manufacturers, um, and it doesn't compromise the dealer that's, you know, uh, providing the data. The worst case scenario is, you know, somebody selling a list of North Cal- Northtown Cadillac dealers to Southtown Cadillac. And uh, unfortunately, that happens all the time. Okay. Um, a really cool use of the data, uh, you know, might be for something in law enforcement. You know, maybe they would like to know where a particular vehicle was last serviced for some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Okay. So there's all kinds of, you know, stuff all over the map. You know, we could sit down and, you know, brainstorm for 45 minutes and we could come up with, you know, probably a hundred really cool uses for this data. But right now there isn't, um, there isn't a ecosystem, okay, that is trusted, uh, and, um, you know, well-established to provide that, uh, that stuff. It's all kind of done in the dark at night under covers, <laughs> not, not necessarily with the most ethical, uh, business cases, um, you know, et cetera. So there's a lot of lack of trust and rightfully so. Okay. Interesting. That makes sense. And and how many employees and do you share your revenues uh, publicly? And what's your growth rate currently? Well, the growth the growth rate has been astronomical. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we we uh, uh, made uh, Inc. five thousand, uh, Inc. five hundred, uh, and Inc. five thousand four years in a row. Um, we presently our revenues are. Uh, just cresting 20 million. Um, you know, I remember when I was really excited about the potential of hitting, you know, a million dollars. Uh, (laughs) when was that? uh, Do you remember what year that was? God, I I think was probably like maybe, Oh five, Oh four, Oh five. I mean, when, when we started this thing, you know, it was me and then three employees in the upstairs, my house went to five, you know, uh, I was sleeping in the basement. The awesome. ground floor was kind of no man plan. Um, Did you raise any outside money? You know, my first outside money was a $50,000 line from my local bank. And I remember uh, Mary Pat, who was, um, you know, kind of, she was one of five employees at that time. When we got that, she was the bookkeeper. And, uh, you know, I didn't really pay attention to the, the book. She had that. I remember the, uh, day that we got that $50,000 credit line, 
she reached into her purse and she said, I guess I can cash these now. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she pulled out four paychecks. Oh. God bless her. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. Oh my you know, I, I mean, I, I, I still, you know, kind of get teared up when I think about that, but that's how, you know, committed, you know, our people were to what we were doing. And, you know, it's a really, really cool, cool story. So, you know, you're talking about percentage of growth. We had the great fortune of, um, um, being named and called out a shout out uh, by president Obama on July 2nd, you know, 2015. Um, you know, he's talking about wage and hour and salaries and he was using us as an example of, you know, a progressive employer. And one of the things that he touted was that we had had a 10,000% increase uh, in revenues over well, the previous five years. Wow. That's pretty good. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have that, you know, the last few years. It's pretty easy when you yeah. start out yeah. making a buck, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, our, our growth is, uh, you know, 20, 30% per year. Um, you know, we maintain a really great EBITDA. Um, and I think, you know, everybody says, what's the key to success? And, you know, the truth is everybody here has got a single focus and that's, we absolutely positively understand that we're only going to grow our business if we help our customers grow theirs first. And, and really having an eye on what we do, how it supports our customers. And now because we're becoming such a, you know, a big entity taking a good social position, you know, on, you know, what is ethical, what is right, you know, what, what does the future hold and, and how can we be, you know, a positive part of that, not only for, you know, lacrosse and our community, but more importantly, you know, for the automotive industry that's been so great to me and to us, you know, over the last 40 years. Um, well, 35 anyway, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that social responsibility, really goes a, a long, long way. And it's not the easiest thing to maintain. Um, no. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there for a quick buck. Um, and, and how anyway. You, and I know we're running out of time. I still have a, a bunch of questions, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll limit them here. And because uh, I, I was to that point, you know, how do you keep that kind of uh, that culture? And, you know, and, and why do you locate in lacrosse? You know, it's not necessarily the first location that comes to mind is Tuck, Tuck, but it's a great city. I'll give you that. And, uh, well, we located in lacrosse because that's where my son's bedroom was. Oh, okay. Right? Right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and that was impossible to leave. Okay. So, you know, as far as, as far as, um, why lacrosse, we've got three great colleges, you know, we've got UWL, we've yeah. got, uh, you know, WTC, the technical college, and then we've got Viterbo. We're highly in- integrated with the colleges, uh, you know, with both in the classroom, internships, recruiting events, et cetera. So it's a great source. We've got, you know, the typical Midwest ethic, you know, um, great, you know, service oriented folks. Um, you know, and there are a lot of technologists here. I mean, you know, we've got uh, Train Corp, we've got uh, United Health, um, Business Objects. You know, it used to be First Logic. Um, Ashley Furniture isn't too far away. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tech people here, festival foods, um, you know, and, and because we're kind of the cool kids on the block, uh, we get a lot of talent, you know, migrating, I bet. Uh, you know, from those organizations. And, and, uh, what was the first product you offered compared to what it is today? Well, the first the first product we offered was lead scrubbing, trying to sell that directly to dealers, and we starved. <laughs> we don't offer that today. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, we've morphed into other stuff. So, uh, you know, you got to follow the revenue too. And, and were there times when, uh, you know, tough times you didn't know if you were going to make it or not? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that Mary Pat didn't cash her those paychecks was a pretty good indication. You know, fortunately, I was insulated from that. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, you feel that. And uh, what kept you going? You just saw the potential? It was like, you know, every single day, um, you know, people saying, you know, what you're doing is important. And, you know, thank you. You helped us grow our business. I mean, I've got customers, you know, that have got thousands of dealerships you know, on their platforms generating millions of dollars. And, you know, I was there at dealer one. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's a great feeling. That is. Um, And where do you want to kind of take your platform as far as, you know, we talked a little bit about all that valuable data you have, which is kind of hard to tap into, but um, what else do you, uh, you know, what new features or capabilities do you think would you want to add in the next uh, years? Well, we're absolutely changing the data collection model. Um, data collection was something that was done in the dark of night without the dealers. Dealers would issue a username and a password into their system and trust that people would do the right thing. And we've created a new platform with our product, Dealer Vault, where the dealer can have whatever degree of control they choose, 100% visibility. We'll still do it for them if they want, um, but we also give them the ability to put their hands on the steering wheel and their foot on the accelerator and actually drive the product and the process. Uh, so that's what we're involved in right now, changing the traditional model over to newer technology. It's all cloud-based um, web services. Um, we hope that, you know, as we think about the future, that we can create that responsible, responsible social a socially accepted ecosystem to where we can start to look at, you know, some um, more valuable um, products from a, you know, let's improve the customer experience. Let's cut, cut costs. You know, technology should cut costs, not raise costs. And we think that there's tremendous economies available to the automotive industry by leveraging, you know, technology. But the problem is, is, you know, it's so locked down right now and siloed by a lot of these big companies. And they're actually working very hard to take control of the data. So we want to free the data. We really want to put it in the hands of the dealers and create a responsible, you know, way for that data to be accessed and used that is, you know, properly governed. I don't want to be in charge of that. That's not my bailiwick. You know, I am constantly thinking about how to create a board or some sort of governing body, you know, how to have oversight. You know, so it could be a trusted source that, you know, people could feel good about. That's my dream. That's my vision. You know, whether we get there or not, uh, I actually, I, we will get there. Um, but just creating the, the baby steps and creating this first product, you know, is a great step in that uh, direction. Huh, that makes sense. And, and do, you, do you think there'll be more 
and I guess this is another whole podcast, but the, 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 there could be more direct to consumer type dealers, you just or just strictly online dealers in the future. Um, do you see that happening more? You know, the franchise system is really interesting, and if you look at what happened, you know, just two weeks ago with Tesla, yeah, you know, with their Model Three uh, launch, wow, yeah, that did you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's lots of changes. Um, you know, and I, I think that um, it's it's going to shake out. You know, I mean, you know, people tried to do online grocery shopping. Okay, you know, there's some places where that's working okay, um, but you know, is it universally accepted? No. So I think that there's going to be emerging opportunities, but I don't know that there's going to be. Actually, I'm pretty confident in saying I don't believe that there's going to be a wholesale shift. Okay, over the next you know five ten years, where you know the old brick and mortar dealerships are going to go away. Hell no, that's not going to happen. Okay, but um, you know, is there going to be more of this and less of that? Sure. Okay, what is it? That's a subject for another podcast. Yeah, exactly. All right, two more uh, quick quick questions. Well, at least one's quick for sure. But I um, I was curious how you know you're you're uh, growing so quickly. How do you manage that? And, uh, I mean, you keep it, it sounds like a, a, a good culture, which is essential, but like, how do you make decisions about when to hire, um, what, you know, wh- how quickly to grow and, uh, it's all driven by customer matrix. You know, what we focus on is we focus on the customer experience. And as soon as we get to a point where, you know, we feel we're at 80, 85% capacity and we start looking to add people, fortunately, hmm. we're always looking for people. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a great, uh, you have a great place to work up there in uh, La Crosse. Okay, so yeah. you, you said once you hit eighty five percent capacity, eighty five percent. And what do you mean by that? And, well, so you know, we kind of have a metrics of how many widgets an individual person can you know move or make, right? Yep. So you know, once that team or that group or you know that part of the ecosystem starts to hit eighty eighty five percent you know, capacity, then we start looking to bring people on. Gotcha. Um, you know, we always want to have that 15 to 20% flex. So we're always going to have people that are in training. They're a little bit less productive. You know, when they first come online, you're always going to have, you know, situations where, um, you know, the people are having babies. That seems to be our latest thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're having lots of babies. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, some in the water. But, uh, yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, you're always going to go through that. So you got to, you have some cushion, you know, it's just like any, you know, technology platform, but this is a human platform. Um, you know, you always want to have that built in, uh, resiliency and hopefully redundancy. Yeah. I like that. Never heard of that 80, 85%. I mean, I've heard people kind of talk or, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting way to put it. I like it. And last question before, uh, we, uh, sign off is, uh, so what you've been in the auto industry for many years. What's your, uh, your dream car or if you can have multiple dream cars. I don't think it's been produced yet. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm still searching for it. I guess you're, I, I, I go through it. Well, sure. I, <laughs> you know, I go through a lot of cars. Um, you? Okay. <laughs> you know, I can definitely tell you that, uh, um, I, I would, it would have to be able to lose traction, have enough horsepower to lose traction within, well, a half inch to an inch of pushing the pedal. Um, it would be definitely be all wheel drive. Um, it would be able to drive through anything, you know, whether that's water or huh. air or asphalt. Um, it would be super comfortable. 
if, if you're flying through the air, you wouldn't lose traction, so it would have to set you back in your seat enough that you might pass out. You know, I mean, just... I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate the, you, you coming on the show. I think that's it. I, we, we could talk a lot more. Like you said, that one was the question. is just the whole podcast in itself, but definitely appreciate your time. Steve, and thanks, for, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, thanks to everyone uh, who uh, listened to another podcast at Flyer Labs. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.